Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is David McIlvaney. He's the CEO of McIlvaney Financial Companies. He also runs McIlvaney Wealth Management uh, and the Tactical Short, and also has recently founded a new venture called Vaulted about gold coins that we're going to get into more. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, David. Hey, Jordan. Great to be with you. Let's start with a broad view of the economy. I mean, what most economists would say today is the U.S. economy is growing pretty nicely, 2.5% thereabouts. Europe is recovering. Uh, we've got uh, the major uh, uncertainties. We have a out of the way, meaning we had a trade deal with China. We know what's happening with Brexit. We've got the USMCA. And everything's going along fine except for the coronavirus. Is that the way you see things? Well, I, I think there's a little bit more to it. I mean, if you look at the 2.5% growth that we have, it is below average. And I think what makes that an exceptional number is the amount of stimulus that we've had in the economy from the Federal Reserve over the last decade. So to be below average at this point is a little bit concerning. Probably the, the bigger concern, though, let me, let me say something positive on the U.S. economy, though, because you can't really argue against having strong employment figures, um, best in decades, and now an increase in, in, in compensation. So there are some very bright things in the U.S. economy. Um, I would think that the, if we're talking about the, the economy and not the financial system as a whole, it's really the global economy that is of more concern. World GDP was at 2.9% last year. And if you're looking at sort of a 40-year average, you've got this band between 25 and 3.5%. As you get closer to two and a half, you're tripping into what is the accepted global recession threshold. So 2.9 to 2.5, factor in what we have in China, slowing growth there, and probably 2020 is global recession just because we're already close to that threshold prior to having the coronavirus and the implications, which, which have yet to, to really be clarified or resolved. Well, if that's true, why have the stock markets been soaring? I mean, basically, the last 11 years, they're normally a predictive indicator, and the market going up so much, you think the economy would be strengthening, not weakening. You know, I, I could say many things. I, I don't want to be unkind, but I'm, I'm going to just venture there, and, and if, if we can have a, 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 an interesting dialogue on this. Stocks are considered dumb money in the investment world. Uh, bonds and currencies continue to get it sooner than the stock market does. And so even look at the year-to-date returns of something like TLT, an exchange-traded fund which represents U.S. bonds, up 7% or nearly 7% for the year, double the increase of the S&P 500. The bond market is sending a very different signal than the stock market, which is actually we're not satisfied that you know risk is out of the way and that concerns can be ignored here. Um, both gold and the bond market have sent a very different signal. So I would say at this point, stocks are overly enthusiastic and looking for any particular reason to keep the party going, whereas there is more of a, a sober-mindedness uh, in, in bond investors today. A move of 30 basis points in your 10-year treasury in just a few weeks is a very different message 
than the stock market getting back above 29,000. So who's right? Ultimately, if I had to bet one group of investors or pit one group of investors against the other, I'd take the bond investor over the stock investor any day in terms of risk analysis and ultimately the direction of the markets. So the infinite wisdom of the markets, I, I think we got to stretch beyond the equity investor to get real wisdom this time around. So most people would say the reason that interest rates have fallen so sharply, and frankly, oil prices and other commodities as well, is the coronavirus. I mean, China's pretty much shut down now. We don't know how long it's going to last, but there's not going to be a lot of economic growth this, this quarter in China. So w what is your outlook for the impact of this coronavirus on the economy worldwide? Jordan, it's a big deal. I mean, we, we do see the predictive moves in the industrial commodities, as you mentioned, copper, um, oil as well, and interest rates are, are sending that signal. What I think is very interesting is if you look at the fourth quarter, we were already seeing a, a kind of a difference of um, signaling in the markets. Consider gold's move in the fourth quarter. It was moving higher as, as sort of an indication of concern, and it tied, I think, to uh, the U-turn the that Powell put in place, the second U-turn of the year, uh, relating to expansion of balance sheets. So over $350, almost, almost $400 billion in balance sheet expansion by the Fed. And no surprise there in the fourth quarter to see gold um, picking up uh, pace and finishing the year nearly 20% higher. Um, so gold is sending one message. Stocks, of course, are happy to see that kind of money and liquidity come into, this, into the system. But ultimately, that kind of money coming into the system is not healthy. Uh, sure, it gooses the stock market a bit, um, but easy money policies have always created over-exuberance, not always at the best of times. So what are the implications long-term? I, I think the financial markets are actually pretty frail, even though the economy is reasonably strong, if we can create that distinction between the financial markets and uh, the leverage that are in them and, and the economy, which, again, U.S. domestic is all right. I mean, it, it's interesting because gold is like giving two messages. On one hand, it's a safety haven and the coronavirus and all the uncertainty. Gold is kind of moving with treasuries to some extent. But on the other hand, gold is typically a reflation or inflation hedge and if anything, we have lower inflation, lower economic activity, and negative interest rates still in Europe. So what signal is gold actually giving here? Yeah, well, I, I think the inflation thing is, is kind of interesting, because here we've got uh, CPI for China, uh, surprising on the upside, 5.4% year over year. Food prices over 20% uh, here in the early part of the year, up over 20%. And so CPI in China is moving higher. Uh, we've, we've got kind of an interesting thing with, with inflation figures. No, we can't move the needle and get them higher, but I think a part of that is because, A, we've got a tremendous amount of debt that's in the system, and servicing that debt has really slowed things down. Uh, another macro consideration with, with inflation and the muted numbers that we see in inflation, perhaps with the exception of China, is uh, just overcapacity. We, we've got way too much stuff out there, way too much production, and, and, and not enough demands to, 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 to sop it up. So we'll continue to see low inflation numbers. I think the dangerous aspects of that are we have central banks who are off the leash in trying to stimulate and create more inflation, while I think some of the indicators are just kind of flattened out because, uh, because of this, you know, again, it's not a lack of consumption, but consumption is not matching the production aspects. 
we can produce more goods than anyone can buy. Um, and so that overcapacity is a real thing. At some point, don't you think, Jordan, that if, if we're kind of throttling the monetary policy side, there might be uh, an inflationary surprise? It's possible, but as you say, there's, there's, uh, the extra capacity around the world is deflationary. In addition to things like buying online, I mean, Amazon lowers prices and puts retailers out of business. That's deflationary. It seems like there's a lot of deflationary forces around the world that the central and that's why the central banks have been so of uh, putting all this money out and, and keeping whatever it is, $15 trillion worth of bonds trading at negative yields in Europe. There's no sign that the central banks are going to stop their very stimulative accommodative policy anytime soon. The, the challenge, of course, is between what happens as they try to stimulate consumer price inflation and, and get it off the ground with the unintended consequence of creating asset price inflation and the potential for bubble dynamics. And that's where, again, maybe with the best of intentions, the world's central banks are trying to increase inflation. But to the degree that they create asset bubbles, there's implications from those asset bubbles should they ever burst. We know that from the year 2000 and year 2007 that we had bubbles that burst, and there were significant ramifications, probably more so in 2008 and 2009 than in the aftermath of the tech crash, um, because the, the implications spread more broadly through the credit markets. But wouldn't you argue or couldn't you argue that asset price inflation is a real issue today? Bubble dynamics, particularly in government bonds and in corporate credit, um, are kind of the obvious big, um, let's hope nothing bad happens here. But, but they are continuing to inflate asset prices at a very rapid pace. So you think the stock market is a bubble right now, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the difference between bulls and bears, the 40% differential that we've had for multiple weeks um, suggests that we are near an inflection point. When you get that kind of bullishness, 40-point differential between the bears and bulls, uh, yeah, that suggests that we're getting there. It depends on your valuation metric. You know, price to sales is the highest ever. Uh, price to... Uh, earnings, if you're looking at the Schiller PE, you know, we, we get the guys from Yale um, shining a light on, on, a, on a cyclically adjusted price earnings number, 10-year rolling average. That's the Schiller PE. Uh, yep. It's the second highest ever. Um, so could it go higher? Sure. Um, has it been higher? Yeah, once in U.S. financial market history. And I guess that's the, the challenging thing is, is while you can't say that we've, you know, absolutely reached a peak, we don't know that, um, difficult to call a peak until after the fact. Um, what you can say is this is a pretty rich market. Yeah. And so uh, the alternatives, if, say you agree with you and you think the market is overpriced and potentially a bubble that could burst, uh, why is gold uh, or precious metals the best alternative uh, in, in the case of a downturn? I mean, gold went down in 2008 as well, just maybe didn't go down as much as stocks. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, it may not be the best option. I think cash is certainly in the running as an option, um, and you can take risk out of a portfolio and be in cash. The challenge there is if monetary policy continues to be creative, we already have QE4 in play, uh, regardless of whether they're willing to call it that. It is monetization of debt. That is QE4. Um, you have the central banks of the world trying to inflate away any and every financial problem that might emerge. Do you trust the central bankers to manage your cash value? I think not. I don't. So, you know, if you're going to sit in cash, at least hedge the bet with some bullion to offset your inflation risks. They're 
deliberately trying to devalue your cash position. Maybe it's only 2% a year. Maybe it ends up getting out of control and becomes a 4, 6, 8, or 16% number. Uh, stranger things have happened in the history of money management, uh, central bank monetary, monetary management. So balancing between cash and gold, I think, makes sense. Um, going back to 2008, you're right. On the front edge of a deflation, gold is vulnerable because people are trying to maintain their leveraged bets and are willing to sell assets to do so. They're hoping that things don't change. Beyond the front edge of a deflation, however, gold does very well. In fact, it does better during a deflation than it does during an inflation, unless you're talking about low, low levels of inflation, in which case gold's kind of worthless, honestly. Low levels of inflation, gold doesn't do anything for you. Superinflation, hyperinflation, it will save your bacon. The most reliable setting for gold performance is in a deflation, just not in that initial stage. You're right, gold sold off 25 30% in 2008, there in the, between the third and fourth quarter. But by the end of the year, even as stocks languished, it had recovered and was at a 6% positive gain going into 2009. Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is David McIlvaney. He's the CEO of McIlvaney Financial Companies. He also runs McIlvaney Wealth Management and uh, runs a gold-oriented service called vaulted.com, we'll speak about after the break. Uh, his we website is mwealthw.com. We'll be back after this. Are you sick and tired of earning only 0.1% on your bank account savings? Well, it's time to earn much more interest by opening a Wealthfront cash account. Right now, Wealthfront is paying a 1.78% annual percentage rate on your cash. That's about 19 times more than the national average of 0.09%, which banks are paying these days. With that much of a higher rate, you can accumulate as much in four months than it would take you 50 years to build up at a typical bank. Every year, you make New Year's resolutions like eating healthier, working out at the gym, or earning more money. Now you can keep that last resolution effortlessly with a Wealthfront cash account. There are no fees to set up an account, and your money is insured up to $1 million by the FDIC through their partner banks. It only takes $1 to open an account, which you can do quickly online or over the phone. Wealthfront currently has about $22 billion in client assets on deposits. Clients have earned over $70 million in interest on their cash accounts so far. In addition to being a great place to earn much more interest on your money, Wealthfront is an ideal place to manage your money. You can save, plan, invest, and get solid financial advice all in one place. In fact, my son works in the high-tech field and has moved all of his assets from a traditional brokerage firm to Wealthfront and put in a managed basket of index funds that have performed extremely well. Right now, you can sign up for the Wealthfront cash account in less than five minutes by going to wealthfront.com forward slash money. Go to wealthfront.com slash money and start earning 19 times more interest than you get from a bank. That's wealthfront.com slash money. Wealthfront is not a bank. Cash account is offered by Wealthfront Brokerage Services and conveys funds to partner banks who accept and maintain deposits, provide the interest rate, and provide FDI insurance. That APY is subject to change.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is David McIlvaney. He's the CEO of McIlvaney Financial Companies. He also has McIlvaney Wealth Management and a company called Vaulted, which helps people with gold coins. Welcome back to the show, David. Great to be back with you, Jordan. So basically you're saying the stock market's in a bubble, interest rates have fallen, and you think uh, gold and cash make a lot of sense. So as far as the ways to play gold, you can do physical bullion, you can do gold mining shares, and you can do exchange-traded funds like a GLD, which owns physical gold. What are the pros and cons of those three? Yeah, let's start with the ETFs. Uh, one, the ease of buying and selling is there. Uh, that's probably the prime benefit. The, the primary drawback is deliverability. Unless uh, you're taking uh, huge quantities, uh, you, you're really restricted in terms of what you actually have access to. So it's stored on your behalf, uh, or you have some sort of digital version of gold. You own part of the basket. And frankly, some investors want something a little closer to something they can take possession of or, or, or what have you. So ETFs are a great trading vehicle for the price if you're looking for price proxy. Um, the shares are interesting as a growth vehicle. So if you're buying mining companies, they generally will perform um, either, either outperforming gold on the upside or underperforming gold bullion on the downside. So they, ha- they are categorically higher beta. 
and that means that relative to the market, they're going to do more, uh, or in the case of the downside, <laughs> hurt you more. Uh, so shares are, are an interesting thing to own in small portions uh, within a diversified portfolio for their growth component. Bullion, people tend to focus on bullion as more of an insurance play or as a cash alternative. And part of the reason why people like bullion is because it is a financial asset, but it's not inside the financial system. So you know, when you start thinking about counterparty risk, when you start thinking about banking relationships and who has claim to what assets, you may have some complications in the ETS structures. Uh, you certainly have complications when you start talking about futures contracts and things of that nature. And there is no fuzz on a bullion product that's delivered to your door. What we've done with vaulted.com is allow you to own gold in bullion format, kilo bar format, with the Royal Canadian Mint. You can buy it and sell it uh, very easily on a smartphone or computer and at very low cost. Um, and so if you want it delivered, it's deliverable to you. What I like about the Royal Canadian Men is it's the only organization in the world that guarantees every ounce to be conflict-free. Maybe that wasn't a big deal 30, 40 years ago. Maybe it took watching you know, uh, Blood Diamonds, the movie back in the day, um, to be conscientious about where your gold or precious metals or diamonds are sourced from. Um, but the Royal Canadian Mint cares. And so we've partnered with them. It's a seamless process. takes between 30 and 60 seconds to open an account. And the way we've designed that is to really be an alternative to savings. If you want part of your cash at the local bank, great. But if you want to diversify some of your cash holdings into ounces, then Volta.com allows you to do that very easily, very inexpensively, very transparently. If it's gold bars, what would be the minimum to get into vaulted.com? The way that we've structured it is that it's accessible to everyone. You have allocated ounces, and you can buy for as little as $5 in any transaction. So really accessible as a savings tool for anyone in the world. And then, of course, if you want to take delivery, you would either need to convert that to a smaller denomination piece, or if you've saved a full kilo bar, you can take delivery via FedEx of that kilo bar. So what would be the advantage of doing vaulted versus buying physical gold coins like American Eagles or Canadian Maple Leafs or Cougarans? What would be the advantage of vaulted? Uh, one, your bid-ask spread is going to be significantly less, so your transaction costs are crushed down. Uh, we're buying kilo bars directly from the Royal Canadian Mint. There is no middleman in the wholesale market, so your base cost is, is very, very reasonable. And so that's one aspect. The other aspect is you can buy it and sell it very easily. So if, let's say I go on a vacation and I'm sitting in, in Hawaii and I decide that I want to take a part of my bullion position and liquidate it today, I can do that off of my smartphone. Whereas if you've taken delivery of American Eagle gold coins, you're probably going to have to go home and either dig in the floorboards or go down to the local bank and pull it out of your safety deposit box, then ship it, then wait for it to arrive, then wait for a price coat, and then finally lock in a price. So it really puts you in control as an investor of the timing of when and how to sell and allows you to treat it as a cash position. As a cash position. Now, I will say, I prefer having physical gold in my possession. I only use vaulted for something the equivalent of cash. If I want a savings or banking alternative, great. That's what vaulted is for. That does not replace 
bullion that I ha- may have in my own possession. Because at the end of the day, there is really something of value in having a part of your wealth which is private, which is portable, which is in your possession. Um, and, and I would never mitigate those, those advantages of physical bullion. Yeah. As far as the gold mining shares, do you buy individual gold mining shares or the ETFs like uh, GDX or GDXJ? How do you plan if you want to put some into gold mining shares? Yeah, well, the value add on our wealth management platform, mwealthm.com, is that we do have the firepower on our team to do individual company research. So we are owning the individual companies where we think the risk and reward can be clearly identified. Having a good asset does not mean that you have a good team to manage the asset. And frankly, in the mining space, um, it's attracted some of the worst asset managers possible. I'm talking about management to actually unlock the value of this resource underground. Capital allocation has been reckless over the last 20 years, and there's really only a handful of teams that have done a very good job, a very good job in terms of capital allocation uh, within the mining space. So we feel like we do uh, offer a tremendous amount of value in our hard asset and real asset portfolios, Precious metals is just one thing we focus on. We do like global natural resources, specialty real estate, infrastructure, real things that provide cash flow, give you something to, to, to bring in in terms of an income stream while you own a stuff that, that is really unlikely to go to zero, even, even in a market downturn. Precious metals are part the, of that. The, what would be the name, David, of one of your favorite uh, gold mining shares, just one that you, you like? Yeah, well, I mean, in full disclosure, both owning it myself and owning it within uh, the context of our funds, Agnico Eagle has delivered not only an increase in dividend returns, um, but so from the income side, they've done very well for investors. Uh, but in terms of sort of growing organically uh, from Laurent to all of their mine expansion, the internal growth has been impressive. They've continued to sort of over-deliver. Uh, not necessarily under-promising, but over-delivery in that space is, is, has been tough to come by. We do own it. We like it. Um, Agnico Eagle continues to be an, an excellent management team, uh, working with excellent resources in places that are not that dangerous from a, a resource grab standpoint. If you're talking about resource nationalization, they also have a very low risk profile. In about two minutes we have left, to kind of sum up, the way you see the current situation, why you think gold makes sense with where the stock and bond markets are these days? Yeah, I think gold runs in a countercyclical basis to stocks. So, and, and you can play this off of the energy that's in the market. When it's positive energy and you've got sort of greed in the, in the, in the world and, and in the stock market, then growth is your friend and stocks are your friend. And gold really has less of a place in the portfolio, at least from a performance standpoint. Then when fear becomes a dominant factor or any factor at all, concern or lack of clarity uh, on the horizon, all of a sudden you see people beginning to hedge, and that fear factor does increase traffic into gold. I think looking at the stock market where it is, uh, we have a good case to be made for the next three to five years to be the, the opposite, actually, a, a declining trend in equities and a growth trend in gold. Um, could it be the coronavirus that, that sends a signal around the world that not all is well? Uh, maybe it's too much debt. Maybe it's any number of things, frankly, that could cause uh, concern. I think there's geopolitical concerns. Uh, political concerns domestically here in the United States and certainly financial market concerns that could shine a bright light on gold and its performance in 2020 and beyond. 
Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest for this half hour has been David McIlvaney. He's the CEO of McIlvaney Financial Companies. He also runs McIlvaney Wealth Management, which manages money in, in these areas. Uh, he also runs Vaulted, which is a way to buy a share in individual uh, uh, gold as well. Uh, you can find out more at his website, mwealthm.com or vaulted.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, David. Thank you, Jordan. Anytime. Thanks. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back after this. Where should you look if you need freelance talent for your small business or project? Finding the most qualified freelancer at a price you can afford can be time-consuming and frustrating. That's where Fiverr comes in, because they let you find exactly the skill you need easily and quickly anywhere in the world. With Fiverr, you can search among many categories to find the exact talent you need for your project. You know exactly in advance how much it's going to cost. You can also be sure they'll deliver as promised because you can read reviews and user feedback before you pick someone. I've used Fiverr several times, and the people I picked always came through at very reasonable prices. I found a woman in the Ukraine who edits and touches up all the pictures I use on my website. I found a graphic designer in India who redesigned several graphics I now display at my website, moneyanswers.com. Fiverr's Marketplace helps you get more done with less. They connect you with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and much more. These professionals have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world. You can search by service, deadline, price, or reviews. You know exactly what you're paying for up front, so there's no need to negotiate a price. Fiverr offers 24-7 customer service if you need help. Take five and check out fiverr.com and you'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code ANSWERS at checkout. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going out to fiverr.com with the code ANSWERS at checkout. Fiverr, it all starts here. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Sam McElroy. He is the co-founder and managing member of App Financial uh, based in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're a financial advisory firm, but what makes you different? You say you're more client-focused than other kind of financial firms. What do you mean by that? Well, if you look at most financial services firms, and it's not true of all of them, but I would say you know a large majority of them, they tend to have what I would call a fractionalized or siloed approach, meaning that you know if you look at it from the individual standpoint, they have a lot of different financial spheres that they're juggling. And in their mind, they're all interconnected. But we as professionals break them all up. So people have, you know, one person who does their, you know, life and health. They have somebody else who does their uh, uh, taxes, someone who does their estate plan, someone who does their investments. And, and none of these people know each other or care about each other. And, and it's very common that we see strategies with individuals that are basically in conflict with each other. So this idea of being a holistic advisory firm, basically is that we're a team of multidiscipline professionals that have enough experience in all these different realms. It doesn't mean that we do everything for everyone, but we're knowledgeable enough to be able to have uh, strategies that can then be unified or harmonized into one plan that really helps the individual uh, be viewed as an individual, not just uh, this one little silo thing that they have over here, but really helping them make forward progress towards whatever their macro goals are, as well as their micro goals. And that's kind of what we mean by that, and that's what differentiates us. You say you focused on the development of so-called natural consequences based on customizing things. What do you mean by natural consequences? Yeah, so, so one of the things that I think has informed who we are as a firm, just from a philosophical standpoint, is that in addition to working in the financial world for many years, my background is also in clinical psychology. In fact, my background uh, and a couple other people here at the company, uh, Tad, uh, as well as Brandon, all have backgrounds in psychology as well. And, and one of the things that kind of came out from that is that there's a lot of things that can look good and feel good on paper, what I call technically right, that negate the psyche of the individual, that, that underlies the experience of the individual who's going to utilize the strategy. And that's what we mean by practical consequences. You know, what is the real-life effect or impact going to be not just what does it look like in terms of what happens on paper. Oh, very good. What area you want to talk about particularly was uh, credit and credit scores. Uh, particularly FICO has recently changed the way it's going to be calculating credit scores. What, what, do you, what should people know about these changes in uh, how their credit scores are going to be impacted by what FICO has just done? Yeah, well... Looking at a couple different articles in terms of how FICA is planning on making some adjustments to the formulas that they use for the output for credit scores, 
What they're basically saying is that based off of these changes, which are intended to basically take into account the total debt utilization that people have in a little bit of a different way, is that there's a, there's a large chunk of people that are probably going to see their credit scores increase by at least 20 points or so. And there's also a large chunk of people that are probably going to see their credit scores decrease by maybe about 20 points or so. So for some people, this is going to be a benefit in terms of, you know, judging themselves based off of their FICA score. And for some people, it may be a little bit uh, of a downgrade in terms of where they are. And, and this whole understanding of what credit scores are and, and just in general, how we utilize credit scores, how we utilize debt, how we manage debt, I think it's really just starting to open up the conversation for people to revisit um, previously held notions in terms of what they're trying to do from a debt management standpoint. So how should people manage their debt differently? For example, say you had a relatively small number of credit cards on which you have a high utilization, using most of the credit lines. Some people are saying maybe you should have more credit cards and use less of each credit line, which will get your score up. Is that a strategy? Or how else should you manage your debt in light of these new FICO score changes? Yeah, I mean, some of the old strategies are still going to be good ones, you know making sure that you're trying to keep a, a high debt-to-income, or sorry, income-to-debt ratio, I should say. I'm going to say it backwards, but basically you want to have a good amount of income based off of the revolving debt that you're carrying. Uh, you want to show you know, good standards in terms of not having late payments or, or missed payments. And in addition to that, you don't want to just close down uh, credit cards because you're simply not use, utilizing them. You know how much available balance you have compared to what you're actually utilizing makes a big role in this, also. But one of the things that I feel like I've seen, and I'm certainly not the only person who's been looking at this. In fact, it's been starting to become more of a national conversation. Is just our comfort with debt and what it really represents. You know, I think that. It's totally accurate to talk about good debt and bad debt, and I'm, I'm not going to put anybody down for mortgaging a house or, or buying a car, or especially if somebody's leveraging debt to be able to acquire other assets. But I think that there's a misunderstanding of what debt really is and the impact that it has on our overall financial health. And so I think that we've gotten to this point where people have been more and more comfortable taking on more and more debt as long as they have the cash flow to be able to manage the debt service. And I think that this is kind of what some of the changes in the FICA is kind of looking at, is saying, all right, you may have the ability to cover the minimum payments and all these different debts, but if you look at you holistically, you got a lot of debt out there. Maybe we should be judging that a little bit differently. I think that that's one of the pieces that's coming out of it. But in addition to that, I think that there's a general misunderstanding of what interest rates are and how they basically work for us or against us, whether in our portfolios or in uh, the things that we borrow and leverage that maybe will come to light as people start to look into this a little bit further as well. The big one, of course, these days is student loan debt, which has gone up to about $1.6 or so, and it's such a burden on people graduating these days. Would you consider student debt good debt or bad debt, and how can people get a better control of it? <laughs> well, out of fear of, of somebody wanting to throw something at me, uh, I think that I would be inclined to put it in that bad debt category with a big caveat. Some programs and some degrees, just because of how rapidly the cost of education has increased, you realistically may not be able to finance yourself or you may not be able to work your way through, in which case you may just have no choice but to take on some debt. And hopefully, you know, you don't want to make everything based off of cold, hard 
mathematical precision. <laughs> you know, you should be pursuing careers because of the value that it brings you and, and your passion to be able to do something in that field. But if you're thinking about it from a practical standpoint, you do want to ask yourself, okay, what is the median salary with this degree when I come out of it? And am I going to be able to repay whatever I borrow, whatever the cost of this degree is? And in doing so, have some reasonable expectation about whether the investment in yourself really makes sense. And that's not going to be the end-all, be-all, as I said, but that's one of the big pieces that I think people have to look at. But if you go back decades, you know, let's go back to, I don't know, 1950s, 1960s, there basically was no student loan debt. Yeah. But we've seen in the last two, three decades us go from, call it zero, to exactly what you said, about $1.6 trillion in student loan debts. And most of these aren't at low interest rates, like 1% or 2 or 3% like they were in the past. Now if you're looking at a lot of Parent PLUS loans or some of these other ones, you're talking 6 to 8% in interest, maybe even higher. And that has the ability to really negate uh, any forward momentum that we would like to have in terms of the wealth accumulation process. In fact, bad debt is one of the greatest destroyers to wealth. So are you saying that you have clients, the kid comes in, he says, I just want to get a liberal arts degree, I don't really know what field I'm going into, and he takes on $100,000 in debt or something like that. You're going to tell them, don't do it. Is that what you're saying? I'm going to tell them to exercise caution <laughs> from the whole start of, of that scenario. Uh, you know, we developed a program years ago called the College Trust, and it's designed around educational planning. This kind of goes back to that whole, whole holistic model, where you can't just talk about the debt process. You have to talk about the educational process in it. Now, in this educational process, if we could get our hands on them early enough, we would have them going through certain programs to help them really do some type of skill assessment to try to figure out what their aptitudes may be. And again, no high school kid is really going to know what they want to do uh, in the future, but they can at least have gone through something to let them know, you know, based off of my innate abilities and skill sets, I probably will be better suited for this type of major over this one or this type of career over this one. And then trying to match that up with the school that's going to be the best for them based off of their financial fact pattern and then deploy every known strategy possible to help them improve the cash flow efficiency for college, whether it's taking advantage of certain tax strategies or whether it's, you know, trying to maximize their demonstrated need so that they can have a better capacity for grants or scholarships or whatever it is, all of these things then become necessary so that hopefully that kid never even comes up with the decision of, do I take out 100000 in debt? Yeah. But if they can't, then you got to say, all right, listen, go into this with your eyes open. If you do, here's what it may look like. And then you can make an informed decision, or at least a better informed decision, on whether it makes sense in your life. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Sam McElroy. He is the co-founder and managing member of At Financial. Uh, you can find out more at his website, atfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. Are you sick and tired of earning only 0.1% on your bank account savings? Well, it's time to earn much more interest by opening a Wealthfront cash account. Right now, Wealthfront is paying a 1.78% annual percentage rate on your cash. That's about 19 times more than the national average of 0.09%, which banks are paying these days. With that much of a higher rate, you can accumulate as much in four months that it would take you 50 years to build up at a typical bank. Every year you make New Year's resolutions to like eat healthier, work out at the gym, or earn more money. Well, now you can keep that last resolution effortlessly with a Wealthfront cash account. 
There are no fees to set up an account, and your money is insured up to $1 million by the FDIC through their partner banks. It only takes $1 to open an account, which you can do quickly online or over the phone. Wealthfront currently has about $22 billion in client assets on deposit. Clients have earned over $70 million in interest on their cash accounts. In addition to being a great place to earn much more interest on your money, Wealthfront is an ideal place to manage your money. You can save, plan, invest, and get solid financial advice all in one place. In fact, my son, who works in the high-tech field, has moved all of his assets from a traditional brokerage firm to Wealthfront and put it in a managed basket of index funds that have performed extremely well. Right now, you can sign up for Wealthfront Cash Account in less than five minutes by going to Wealthfront.com money. Go to Wealthfront.com money and start earning 19 times more interest than you get from a bank. That's Wealthfront.com money. Wealthfront is not a bank. Cash Account is offered by Wealthfront Brokerage LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Wealthfront conveys funds to partner banks who accept and maintain deposits provide the interest rate, and provide FDIC insurance. The APY is subject to change. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Sam McElroy. He's the co-founder of At Financial, based in Chicago. His website, atfinancial.com. Welcome back to the show, Sam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about what you look for in clients. They're all over the country. Is there a minimum investment they have to make? Just tell us a little bit about the onboarding process for joining App Financial. Yeah, so we, because we have the ability to work with a lot of different clients in a lot of different spheres, it, it varies depending on what they're looking for. You know, people ask us all the time when they're coming in to sit with us, you know, whether or not they fit the mold of what our typical client is. And, and depending on the strategy or what they're looking to do, we can kind of give them some information around that. But everything that we do at App Financial is about solving a problem. Um, you know, we mean this as sincerely as possible, not just to kind of say it because it sounds good, but for someone to be a good fit for App Financial, 
there needs to be some quantifiable, tangible benefit that we're trying to basically create. So for that reason, I wouldn't say that we necessarily have minimums at the firm. The minimum is whatever it takes to be able to fix the problem, or at least with the resources somebody has, get as close to fixing the problem as there possibly can be. Though there's certain different benchmarks in terms of where certain things make sense. For example, you know, a lot of the things that we specialize on in the investment world is around the world of retirement income distribution uh, plans and modeling, and specifically, how you build an income portfolio to go along with the growth side of what you're doing instead of trying to utilize growth to be both the growth mechanism and cash distribution mechanism in a retirement plan. Now, in order to do that successfully, I would say uh, the more you have, the better it is, obviously. But anytime you go under maybe 150 or 200,000, you really do limit not the efficacy of the strategy, but just your ability to properly diversify into some of the different things that you may want to purchase. So in a sense, you can kind of think of that as a minimum. But, you know, we have people that are just starting out in their careers to people that are extremely successful entrepreneurs and everything in between. And it really depends on where you are and where you're trying to go to see whether or not there's applicable strategies that we can utilize to try to help navigate that course. So what are some of the things you recommend for people? This is a big problem today. It's interest rates are so low. You get pretty much nothing on cash. Long treasuries are 1.5% or so. Uh, junk bonds, you're taking all kinds of risk. What can, if somebody comes to you with a good amount of capital and they're at or near retirement, what kind of income strategies can you recommend to give them decent yield without too much risk? Yeah, this is a great question. And, and I like to talk about the difference between what I call visible versus less visible rates or retail versus institutional. <laughs> A lot of times when people come in to see us, and let's say that they're trying to generate a higher yield or more income off of their capital, they come in with this preconceived notion that it's just not possible these days because of the visible rates that they see. So when you look at you know, bank CDs that you might see when you're driving down the street, or if you look at uh, you know, where the Treasury yield is on the 10-year or something like that, things that are very easy for everyday people to kind of recognize, what they see are interest rates at 1% or 2%, and on savings accounts, even lower than that in many instances. But on the institutional side, if you have uh, relationships with, say, bond brokers, if you live in that world and you know where to invest and you can negotiate good deals, you can stay on the conservative to moderately conservative side of the investment spectrum and probably get rates that are going to be in that 4 5 maybe 6% realm, pooling a couple different asset classes. And in many cases, that's a good enough interest rate to actually greatly increase the output or the usable cash flow that an investor may be able to get out of their portfolio while simultaneously reducing not only market risk but sequence of return risk also, which are two of the biggest issues that people have in retirement. What do you think of bond proxies like real estate investment trusts, business development companies, master limited partnerships, uh -huh. post-end funds, all these other things that you know, have much higher yields than 5 and 6%? Um, they've been bid up a lot because of low interest rates, but do you think that's a good alternative uh -huh. as well? Well, it depends. It, it's kind of like the side, it can't be the main dish, I think. Um, if you know how to shop and if you can look at, at certain things like a REIT or like a business development company, you can, you can use that to kind of pepper in, so to speak, the flavor of the profile to get a little bit higher yielding stuff, but you want to be cautious that you don't allocate too much of the portfolio to those types of asset classes because you start to, you start to get one or two layers removed from actually holding the contract. And a quick example, 
if someone goes and buys a CD or if they buy a treasury or if they buy an individual corporate bond or a preferred stock, they actually hold the contract. And if they know what they're doing and they package it properly and they diversify the way that they need to, by holding the contract, they can start to mitigate some of that interest rate risk or some of the other variability that you get into, default risk and other stuff like that. When you start getting into, say, investing in a business development company or investing in a REIT, you're one level removed because you don't hold the contract or the real estate. You own a share of a fund or of a company that holds the contract. Now, that's one of the reasons why you get a higher return when you do it, a higher yield or income payment when you do it. But you don't want to lose too much control because you're not trying to simply trade one risk for another. It doesn't do any good to get rid of all your market risk and then take on a whole lot of you know, default risk or interest rate risk or credit risk. So you want to make sure that when you're aligning your portfolio based off of the purpose, that you also align that purpose with the right amount of risk. And in doing so, that can really help you navigate what you want to do for different buckets, so to speak, of your of your portfolio. Some people say we're in an inflationary environment. You've got these central banks around the world that have been pouring money into the markets for years. Some say we're in a deflationary economy, and the coronavirus makes it even more so, overcapacity <laughs> and, and the Amazons of the world lowering prices. What should people be planning for, an inflationary or deflationary future? You know, truthfully, they should be planning for both because – I think it's to be determined what trend we're going to really see emerge here. Uh, you know, if we think about recent history, and, you know, don't, don't hold me to this, but I'm fairly sure this is, this is accurate, but in 2018, we saw four sequential interest rate increases, followed by, in 2019, three interest rate decreases. And we know that in 2019, all of the Fed committee was not in agreement on whether to reduce interest rates and by how much. And I don't think it's because, uh, you know, they're not intelligent or they don't know what they're doing. I think it's because the data can be interpreted in different directions. And I think it's because the data isn't conclusive what policy, fiscal policy, needs to actually happen. There's a lot of paths out there where we could see inflation start to really creep back in. Uh, if we avoid all of the recessionary fears, and if the unemployment numbers stay really good, and if corporations have to start uh, increasing salaries to be able to keep their, their key personnel, and, and that whole you know, rhetoric kind of plays out, then, yeah, we should see inflation. But there's a whole lot of things that could happen to dismantle that where we may see the, the doom that the inverted yield curve last year basically manifest, <laughs> and we see interest rates lower, and, and that can play out as well. So you have to plan for both because you don't know which is going to happen. That's what you're basically saying. <laughs> Not these days. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Sam McElroy. He's the co-founder and managing member of At Financial based in Chicago. You can find out more about him at his website, atfinancial.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Sam. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.